Welcome to Tea Time with Tiffany, a podcast about faith, books, and everything in between. You can read all of my writings about these same topics over at lifeofacatholiclibrarian.com. Hi guys! Wow, so I feel like it's been a really long time since I've recorded a tea time and that a lot has happened since then, um, including me being in a new space. So yeah, I feel all out of sorts as I record this episode, um, but why don't we kind of take stock of where we're at and catch up and then we're going to have book club time at the end. Uh, yeah, so why don't we get into all of that. So back when we last spoke, so that was back in, was it early October or late September? Something like that. I think maybe late September actually. So I just determined that it was too hard to keep up with both the podcast and the blog, just with sort of where my life is at right now, both at work and at home. So um, what I decided to do is prioritize what I can do, right? And um, so once a week, I've been very much enjoying uh, my writing, keeping up with all of you and my little community. We started a Facebook group to keep up for the in-between times. And I'm also on Twitter. Um, I know some of you are on there and not on Facebook. And it's been really lovely. In the Facebook group, I've been posting books that I'm reading, pre-orders, things that I used to do in the um, post 100 episode tea time where we talked about what was on my bookshelf crafts and things like that I post all of those things over in the Facebook group now and I could also include a lot of that stuff on Twitter I do some not all but I should make more of an effort to put them in both places for those of you who um, are only on Twitter and that's been going really well it's you know it's just a really small intimate little group and it's I don't feel any kind of pressure to post with any sort of schedule. It's just as things inspire me, I put them up there. I do put up a prayer thread every Monday, and that has been lovely. People have been responding there. I've been really enjoying keeping your prayer requests in mind all throughout the week as I pray, and that has been just lovely. It So it, it's something that um, I think is a soothing lovely spot but there's no kind of pressure to do anything specific and so it just feels like a wonderful relaxing little place to be and I really really like that so that's been going great and it was definitely the right decision it was um (laughs) there was just you know things evolve in life and I I am very averse to change but sometimes you have to change so I did not want to give up anything, but I think that spacing it out differently and maximizing what I can do well at any given point in time is the way to go. So I decided to make Tea Time a seasonal podcast. For the time being, what I'm envisioning as seasonal means that it will be weekly during the seasons, but the seasons will be Advent, Lent, and Summer, ordinary time, I guess. So obviously the Advent and Lent installments will be, you know, four or six-ish weeks. Um, And I plan to record every single week during those times. Um, But that's, you know, that's okay. In the future it could change, but for now I think this is going to 
going to work. Over the summer, that'll be like we'll be keeping up every week again for a couple of months or maybe even a little bit longer. So that'll be really quite smashing. Um, I'm looking forward to that and we can decide if we want to have a longer range book club or if we want to do some kind of special series, other types of discussions during that time. So we'll figure that all out. But here I am for the Advent season, so I'm anticipating we'll have four episodes here between now and close to Christmas. I know Advent hasn't quite started yet, but um, I wanted to get us started on our book club and seem like the right week to start, and the first Sunday of Advent is coming up. So I think that these will probably come out on Thursdays or Fridays every week. I will aim for Thursdays, but you know how it goes. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be back. Um, I think this is going to work out well. So since we last spoke, I have changed offices. I usually do record over a lunch break in my office. That just seems to be a spot when I can record without interruption, so that's nice. And uh, I moved up a floor as they shifted everybody around to be closer to the people that they work with on a daily basis. So now I'm up on the fifth floor of the library with the rest of the teaching librarians, and I really love my new space. So I'm not at my... Um, when I was recording in my old office, I was always just in my desk chair. It was just like easy. I've got the webcam up there, hit record. Um, in this office, the lighting is different. It's weird. And it's just way too dark back there, so I carved out um, an area here. You can see my little, I have a little table in here now. I like that um, for when people come and, um, you know, if we don't want to be just at my working desk or during lunch, sometimes um, I will have knitting uh, partners <laughs> come and we'll knit during our lunchtime and so we can set up that little table, which is nice. So I'm over here. I'm, I have just natural light going on. The fluorescent lights in this office are just different than the one I had before. And let's just say um, <laughs> when uh, those are on, it's just I don't know, a very unflattering glow. Um, for the webcam. So uh, I hope that this looks okay, but I feel like, um, I don't know, I feel like it looks better. So uh, here I am in my new space. I'm enjoying it. I'm liking my new floor and being with my colleagues. So that was a big, um, a big change since um, I last saw you. And also, if you've just been keeping up on the blog, um, you know, I've had a lot of other things going on with the kids. I mean, my kids are at very transitional ages. So Anne is now in first grade, and it does seem like she's at this, like, I, I still think of her because she's my baby. I think of her as being sort of perpetually uh, pre-K slash kindergarten age. And first grade does seem like a big difference. And she's been feeling it, too, and complaining about the workload. I guess they really work those first graders hard. But I mean, some of her spelling words are challenging, I think, for a six-year-old. And um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely different for her. The kids are in Catholic school, as you may know. And at the school that they attend, first grade is the first time that they have to wear uniforms. The pre-K and kindergartens do not have to. So that's been a big change for her too. And so things just feel a little bit more structured for Anne this year. And I'm feeling for her. I'm also feeling for my Henry, who's in seventh grade. And so he's in the same school as Anne still. It's a um, pre-K through eight. But I thought the biggest change would have been last year's sixth grade because then that's considered the middle school wing of the school. But it wasn't. The seventh and eighth graders, uh, because he's our oldest, we're discovering this. It is clearly the seventh graders where they draw the line that these are the older kids 
and he has a lot of work. I feel in some ways I disagree with the amount of homework he has, but of course it's not up to me. Um, I think that's certainly a good argument for homeschooling so that you have, um, it's at your discretion. Um, because I just think the kids have a long day, you know, and when they come home, they need a rest too, just like all of us do. So it's a balance. Obviously, you know, I'm not a K through 12 teacher, so it's not like I know a lot about that. Um, but I definitely just feel a lot of empathy for uh, the more difficult work that he has to do and the amount of it that he has. And, you know, Henry is just not a kid that enjoys school. And so, um, you know, I feel for him. I really do. It's been a big change for him as well. He's 12 this year. Um, you know, the other, he's young for his grade. The other kids in his class are turning 13 this year. I just can't even go there just yet. So luckily I have until next November before I have to worry about that. Um, but it's a big change, it really is. So been adjusting to all of that as well. You all know, I'm probably, I'm sure, that I got a new car and there was that whole saga with having to, well not having to, but I chose to learn to drive a manual, a stick shift. And you know, at my age, um, that's a big change. Uh, I'm kind of glad that I wasn't recording the podcast at the time because I was really stressed out. This October was really stressful while I learned and learning i like to learn new things but something of that magnitude felt like a big deal to me i know it seems frivolous but it had an impact on my everyday life because you know i need to drive i i'm, I'm used to being independent i drive every day i don't have a long commute but still i get myself where i need to go to work to the dance studio to my parents taking the kids places running errands and yeah I felt helpless for a, a period of time and I did not like that feeling. And after I got the basics down, I still felt very stressed out in traffic because as, I don't know, the reserved introvert that I am, one of my greatest fears in life is R, A, confrontation, and B, inconveniencing other people. Um, and so if I'm out in traffic and I stole my car, the anxiety and the sweat that that would inspire was very stressful and off-putting to me. But I got it. It's been about seven weeks now since Little Fit and I started um, our solo journey. I got the car two months ago. The first week was just learning, you know, just practicing. I wasn't driving it full time, so I don't really count that. So it's been seven weeks since I started taking it to work and driving on my own. It's going really well. Although I can tell it's probably gonna take six to 12 months before I feel like as comfortable as I was driving my old car. Uh, I'm sure it's like that for everybody when they first learn to drive, regardless of what kind of car it is. You learn, but it's still a little while before it's like you don't have to think about it anymore. It's second nature. Um, I don't necessarily have to think about it anymore, but it's not second nature yet. I'm still, I guess I'm thinking about it still. Um, I'm very focused on what I need to do and uh, cognizant of when I need to do things that are still um, more challenging for me, um, being a new manual driver. So, you know, certain things of downshifting into turns and stopping suddenly and remembering to put the clutch in and, you know, I'm just, um, I'm still focusing on everything so that I don't make a mistake. 
But I guess the reality of the situation, if you're ever going to uh, choose to go the route that I did, is that you're still going to make mistakes um, for a little while. It's not going to happen frequently anymore, like when you're first learning and you're stalling the car pretty much every time you drive it. Um, but it, every once in a while, something's going to come up. A squirrel's going to run in front of your car. Um, somebody's going to pull out in front of you, and you're going to stall because you're going to forget to put the clutch in. Um, if you're like me and you're changing your podcast at a red light and you forget to put the car in first gear, right, the car's not going to want to start from fourth gear from a dead stop. So you're going to stall and have to get it restarted again. And that's just going to happen when you're new. Um, so I'm, you know, working through those kinks. I haven't had a mistake like that in a little while, knock on wood. But you know what? It's going to happen again. It just is. And, um, it's gonna it just takes time but that was um that was like a really big deal for me just taking on something that was so new and different i think it's a good thing to challenge yourself like that but i'm glad to not have quite as much sweat in my daily commute um as it was a month ago so that's a yay so that's been another big change since we talked last besides that you know um the teaching for the semester thank god it went great um but it's it's just very intense and so it's really nice to have a little downtime between semesters um going into the spring we're hoping to have less sections to deal with we're making some other changes that should make the experience even better it's just been improving every semester and so we're headed in the right direction i'd say it's going pretty well um yeah so that's what's going on with me i'm in holiday mode um trying to get christmas gifts um we've had tons of dance performances um and I've got a Hoffa this weekend and um, a prospective New Year's Eve gig coming up that I'm really excited about. I'm sure you remember my anxiety about that last year, so we'll talk about that more as that draws closer. Um, not feeling as nervous about that because I've had more experience yet, but I'm sure as it is closer, I will be nervous because I am every single time. Um, so that's what's been going on for me. So I think what we're gonna do in tea time is um you know just to us sort of what's happening um we'll do a quick foray into any um novenas that are ongoing that i'd like to mention and then we'll jump into book club that's how we're going to have advent every season will be a little bit different so i like i like that i think it's going to keep it fresh and interesting so that will be the way that our advent season will, will roll and for lent um it'll be even different still maybe we'll do a book club we've talked about that for lent doing the next in that living water series but i might add something else in there as well since it will be lent um you know some kind of a little lenten segment so we'll figure that all out um but okay so we talked about what's happening um catholic stuff the uh novena leading up to the feast of the immaculate conception started today which is wednesday the 29th of november you will be hearing this after that um if you're registered with pray more novenas you've already been getting emails and or the facebook instant messages private messages but if you're hearing this the day or so after, of course, you can go back and catch up. Um, the prayers will be on PrayMoreNovenas.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But um, that's a lovely winter feast every year, so I'm praying that Novena if you'd like to pray along with me. All right, so why don't we get into book club? That's our Catholic stuff for the week. Okay, so we are reading The Christmas Quilt by Jennifer. Uh, I'm going to pronounce her last name, Chevarini. I think that's how you would pronounce it. And we were reading chapter one for this week. 
I have read this book before, so there's a little bit of background, but it's been many, many years and I really don't remember much about it. So it's kind of like a fresh start for me, which I think is good. I have read this whole series. So this is a long series of books. I don't know offhand how many are in the series, but I want to say it's around 10. So uh, this Elm Creek Quilt series. So this is a long series. However, I do think that the volumes can stand alone and coming at it from having not read the books in many years, probably five or more years. I can honestly say that um, I had at least a fresher perspective on being completely new to the series, although I certainly remember a few basic things about the characters, but um, still I think it at least helped in this regard and I felt like they provided enough background in chapter one that you could come into this having not read the other books. I hope you feel that way too. Let me know what you think. Um, but what we have here is an older woman named Sylvia that we find out um, is a quilter. She is um, unmarried, doesn't have any children, and just from her personality description a little bit, uh, sort of set in her ways, I don't know if I would say curmudgeonly, but just more of a, comes across as a, not a cold person, but stern, I guess. It just takes her, uh, it's and so earlier in the series, um, she meets a young woman named Sarah. And I don't remember all of the circumstances of this from the earlier books, but they form a kinship and she teaches Sarah. And Sylvia had come back to this area of Pennsylvania after her sister passed away. And she inherited their family, their old family home where they had grown up. And it's a beautiful old estate. Um, and she's figuring she's just going to clear everything out. She did not have a very good relationship with her sister Claudia. And hadn't, I think, I don't know for sure, but this is my impression, hadn't seen her for many years. They had always had somewhat of an acrimonious relationship. And so she's planning on sort of clearing everything out and selling it and moving back to wherever she was originally living. And when she meets Sarah and uh, they form this relationship, she I guess forms a little bit more of a bond with her memories of living in this home. And so she decides to stay there and her and Sarah decide together that they're going to create a quilter's retreat because the, the home is like massive. So they want to create, uh, you know, guest rooms and a place where they can host workshops on a yearly basis and have women, other well, quilters could certainly be men too, um, coming to stay there and, um, you know, forming a community. And Sylvia will also live there. And I think Sarah lives there then as well. So that's the backstory, and I think you could get that just from reading the chapter, although certainly because I read the original uh, books in the series, some of that came back to me. Let me know if you were able to fill in all of these holes. So, um, so at this point, the Christmas quilt, we have that sort of uh, settled. So we have Sarah and uh, Sylvia living in the estate. Sarah has uh, been married. I don't remember her husband's name. He doesn't appear in chapter one, but she's married and her and her husband live there. And so what we find out, uh, a couple things here. So this series is very much leaping back and forth in time. It, all of the books are like this and The Christmas Quilt is no exception. We go back in time quite a bit. So in chapter one, um, in this instance, we go back in time with Sylvia to her 
for some of her early numbers of Christmas in um, Elm Creek, so in this family home. And we learn a little bit about her even then, acrimonious relationship with her sister Claudia. We learn a lot about her relationships with um, other family members. What I really like about these books um, is the focus on relationships, and they're not all romantic relationships, they're family dynamics of relationships. And I think that there's a lot that we can glean from that, especially in a Christmas installment like we're reading for Advent. So I think that there's a lot of theological lessons that we can take away, even though this is a secular fiction book. So in our flashbacks for this chapter, we have Sylvia flashing back to her childhood, and we see the jealousies that exist between the two sisters. I believe Sylvia, or excuse me, Claudia was her older sister. And we see a lot in chapter one about Sylvia's memories of an older cousin named Elizabeth. And as a child, she just idolized Elizabeth, who was a young woman, um, I'm guessing probably around 20 years old. And uh, so what happens in the flashback is that Sylvia finds out that Elizabeth falls in love and becomes engaged. And this happens over Christmas one year, and then finds out that Elizabeth is going to be moving with her new husband out to California from where they currently live in Pennsylvania. And so this would have been, I guess, the early part earlier in the um, 20th century. I'm trying to think of what is contemporary for Elm Creek. I mean, it's contemporary to us, but the books were written, you know, some time ago, maybe 10 or more years ago. Um, so, and Sylvia, who's an older woman in this series, would have been a child, a young child. Um, and she's just devastated by this because she loves her cousin and knows that she won't be able to see her anymore and we find out that or Sylvia notes when we come back to the current day that um, she never sees Elizabeth again so they move out to California and just completely she moves out to California with her new husband and they completely lose touch and having read the series there is a book about Elizabeth at some point but I remember very little about it um, but I know that we do, if you're interested in this series, which I do recommend, um, especially the early books, um, you can go and find out more about what happens with Elizabeth when her and her husband move out west to try and form a new life there. And I think they try, they want to buy land and farm. Um, so yeah, interesting stuff. There's a lot of good fodder in this series. There's, also, um, in some of the other books, there's flashbacks to earlier generations in Sylvia's family, and quilts are always the tying piece of the puzzle here. And so in some of the other books, we learn about quilts being used as symbols of the Underground Railroad, um, hanging out on the laundry line to signal that this was a safe place. I just, I love that. Um, so we flash back to um, her family, obviously, during the time of the American Civil War. Um, really, really interesting stuff. So I do recommend the series if you want to read more. Okay, but let's go back to the Christmas quilt. So Sylvia, Elizabeth, and you know, Sylvia's heart being broken by the thought of Elizabeth leading. And there's just lots of things going on here amongst different family members in Sylvia's past and her childlike view. In the present, we can see lots of relationships here that we'll be delving into in the book. So we have Sylvia and Sarah. Okay, so Sarah is her young friend who opens up the quilting uh, retreat with her. 
Miss Sarah and her husband. We haven't seen him yet. I think their relationship dynamic happened earlier in the series, but I'm sure that that will come up as well. Um, Sylvia and Elizabeth. So, like I just mentioned, her cousin in the flashback, Sylvia and Claudia, so her sister that they just never really uh, got along or understood each other very well. Um, but something that they mentioned in the contemporary time frame in chapter one is Sarah and her mother. Sylvia is trying to convince Sarah to go see her mother for Christmas and Sarah is resistant. And so from the little information we have, we gleaned that Sarah and her mom, I mean, they speak, but there's a little bit of an emotional um, wall there. And Sylvia has been trying to convince her to go home with her new husband, newish husband, and try to mend fences with her mom. And Sarah is resistant to this and wants to stay at Elm Creek for Christmas. So we can see that there's something going on there that needs to be mended. Um, and it's just interesting, I think, that that came up because of the broken relationships that we can tell um, already that Sylvia has experienced in her life with her sister, um, with her cousin, but yet, and she's a little bit of a sterner person, but yet she wants Sarah to have the wholeness of a relationship with her mom. Um, and so that's something I think that we're going to see delve more and more into as the book proceeds. So like I mentioned, quilts are the unifying uh, sort of theme for what's at stake in the relationships in all of the books. So in this book, we see you know, Sarah wants to get the old Christmas decorations down from the attic, which Sylvia hasn't seen in 50 years, and she coaxes her to go up. They find the Christmas decorations, but they also find this Christmas quilt that is unfinished. And Sylvia remembers, I think, her aunt working on blocks for the Christmas quilt that fateful Christmas where she found out Elizabeth was going to be getting married and leaving. Um, and she never got a chance to finish it because then they were going to have to be making wedding quilts and preparing for the wedding in the spring. And this brings back a lot of painful memories for Sylvia. And she's not sure what to do with all of her feelings about that the quilt is uh, bringing up and all of the memories that the quilt is bringing up. Sarah wants to complete the quilt, thinks that they can do it together because I guess generations of women had worked on this quilt and they were hoping to finish it back when Sylvia was a child, but that didn't happen. And Sarah's thinking maybe they can finish it now. And Sylvia's remembering all of the different women who worked on it and the different blocks that they created and how it reflects their style of uh, sewing and how it um, impacted their lives and their relationships with Sylvia. So we have this Christmas quilt now. And that's originally why Sylvia had this flashback because she's remembering um, that specific Christmas because that's the last time she ever saw the Christmas quilt. I love that. Um, for me, I do not know how to sew, so I've never quilted, but I am a knitter and a crocheter, and I can attest to the fact that crafts often inspire community. It's about so much more than the finished product. It's about the group of people that create an item, a large item, like a quilt. In my knitting group, we have often knit blankets together for new babies, you know, for mothers having new babies. So we have done knitted blocks that we have stitched together. So everybody did different ones and we stitched them together to give to the new mother. Um, or we have in some way just created different uh, ways of integrating work that we've done to create a blanket. Um, that's a lovely thing. And it really does bring people together. And I think that it sews or knits in 
um, memories of specific people into the finished item. And that is certainly the case in these books. I find that to be the case in real life, and that's part of the reason why I relate so much to these books. So those are my thoughts on chapter one. So in chapter one, we're at Christmas Eve, I think. It's either the 23rd or 24th. Um, and, you know, Sarah has brought the quilt down and has come up with a plan for how they can finish the quilt. Sylvia's feeling apprehensive. We spend a lot of time in chapter one with her flashback to this Christmas that she's remembering the last time she saw the quilt and um, some of the family traditions that they had that she had not forgotten about but just hadn't recollected on in any length of time. It's been a while. And she's remembering, you know, searching with her cousins for the star that the adults always hid and how her cousin Elizabeth hid the star under her pillow, knowing that she would find it um, because she had a difficult time because she was littler than the others finding the star without help. And that just made her feel even more bonded to Elizabeth that they shared, that they knew they could read each other that well. Um, that Elizabeth knew Sylvia was going to take it hard that she was getting engaged, but that she would be perked up by finding that star and she hid it under her pillow so she would find it and then she got the reward, the special candy sticks or whatever, um, that the child who found the star would get. And they got to put the star on the tree. She got to put the star on the tree. Um, so we spent a lot of time in that memory. And so now we're at the day or so before Christmas with the quilt. Sylvia trying to convince Sarah to go home, but Sarah resisting and them coming up with plans to maybe finish this quilt. That's where we're at. Okay, so I would love to hear from you. If you're not in the Facebook group, please feel free to comment on this post and I will definitely respond and hopefully others will respond. I will also put a thread up in the Facebook group. So if you'd like to talk about the book over there instead, um, you can just post comments over there and we can all have a very nice chat about the book and we'll do this for the next um, three weeks, I think. I divided it up so that we could read the book in a four week period of time. Um, there's a couple of weeks where we're reading like uh, more than one chapter where there's one at least where there's one of the chapters is shorter so it should be doable. I'll have to go back and look at that but um, what do you think? I think that um, we're off to a good start and that we're sort of getting into lots of needy family dynamics that um, very much could be familiar to you and your own family. Um, you know I'm just thinking about how sometimes there are just those roadblocks there no matter how much um, you don't want that to be the case but it's you know I think that's that happens in all families so whatever you would like to discuss with regards to this book I'd love to hear it we will pick up next week with chapter two um, until then yay I'm looking forward to our weekly uh, tea time together as we journey through Advent. I'm sure we'll have more Adventy stuff to talk about next week. I'd like to talk about um, the Blessed Is She Advent Journal that I have, but I'll then start on Sunday so I can tell you all about that next week. All right, I will talk to you soon. Bye.